This is episode number four of the Paleo Women podcast. Hey friends, so happy you're here with us. I'm Noelle Tarr, nutritional therapy practitioner and author of everything at coconutsandkettlebells.com. And I'm here with Stephanie Ruper, author of the best-selling book, Sexy by Nature, PCOS Unlocked, and Weight Loss Unlocked. And she's the woman behind everything at paleoforwomen.com. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, the information on this podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material and shouldn't be considered a substitute for medical advice or treatment of any kind. Heyo. Hola. (laughs) That sounds very authentic. It's pretty hard to get Ola wrong. <laughs> like there are about there are about a thousand words in Spanish I can't say, but I Ola I've got down pat. And you do have ojoba oil now down pat too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. How's it it's going? It's really useful. <laughs> how's, how's it going with your Spanish game? My Spanish uh, my Spanish game is great. I I struggle a little bit with the um male population here but my spanish game i i'm i think i'm bringing it pretty well awesome (laughs) good yeah do you want to hear about my date i would love to hear about your date i was gonna ask or i wasn't so sure if i should ask but do tell it was good (laughs) yeah no um (laughs) it was great i um like all things in spain it didn't start until like 11 p.m and it was like, and it was like three thirty when I was like, I should go. And he was like, But it's so early. What? <laughs> like, oh my, oh my god. Well, um, yeah. And also, it's so draining to like be like I have to focus so hard to keep up in a Spanish conversation, like so hard. Oh. I just and I, I did that for literally like eight hours. So it was a really. It was a long date. It was a good date. No English for him? Um, yeah. Yeah, actually. I find that these people like often secretly have like some English in their in their back pockets and really random stuff too. Oh my it's the most fun thing in the world to discover the the parts of American culture that like sort of become popular in different places because all over the world it's different like the parts that they absorb like this guy he really um, he knew a lot of music but he loved Metallica and the Backstreet Boys and um, really like I've, I've run into the Smurfs a few times like the Smurfs are cool here and and there's this one guy out dancing who was wearing a cow and chicken t-shirt you know cow and chicken was like that old cartoon on Cartoon Network and I saw him I go are you American he's like no this is Baca y Pollo I'm like no it's cow and chicken oh my gosh I'm still so anyways, trying to get over the Backstreet Boys Metallica thing. Yeah, he started. He he started like singing. He's like, "What's that song called?" Where they're like in an airport and oh. they're like, "Ain't nothing but a heart." I'm like, "I want it that way, obviously." And he's like, "Yeah, that." He's like, "But Nick Carter sucks." <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, it was awesome. I'm like, "Who's your favorite Backstreet Boy?" Because I certainly have opinions. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Have you been back to the hip-hop club at all? I'm going back tonight. Very cool. 
I know, right after we hang up. Yep. Better wrap this up yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get through this, huh? No, um, it'll it'll we'll be there till like five a.m. So I got plenty of time. Goodness gracious, your life. I know. I need to I need to sleep someday. I'm I'm literally oh, I'm kind of practically nocturnal now. I many days, most days, I go to sleep like close to when the sun is coming up, and I wake up close to when the sun is going down. So. I'll get back on schedule when I get back to the States. I got to be honest, though. I don't experience like sleep. I don't I'm I feel the healthiest I've ever been. And my skin is the nicest. Like everything in my body is working the best. So I got I got to say the the shifted sleep cycle hasn't doesn't appear to be wrecking havoc on me like like you would expect from reading the paleo literature on sleep. Dare I say everybody is different. (laughs) <laughs> everybody is different and I really personally like I mean maybe it is kind of a stressful thing for my body to be off on circadian rhythms but if you've got like I mean if everything's working everything's working and um I I personally think it's more important to be like really happy <laughs> than it is to go to sleep at a certain time if I'm going to like weigh those two options in terms of which is going to maximize my lifespan or whatever so yep high five yep High five. So let's go ahead then and get into some questions because we have some good ones today. So so the first one is from Jen. Jen asks, hi, ladies. After reading It Starts With Food, I've decided it's time to remove processed sugar from my diet. The problem is I tend to really crave sweets. My diet is mostly healthy. I eat a ton of vegetables, good protein, and we limit our processed grain consumption. But sugar seems to be my Achilles heel. In the past, I've tried removing processed sugar, but I've only made it three days without giving in to cravings. Do you have some tips for reducing or dealing with sugar cravings? Thanks. <laughs> Do I have tips? <laughs> yes, we have several, several, several tips. Um, so the for me, the most important tip that I would provide... Jen is um, to keep some sugar in your diet. Um, She says that she eats grains once in a while. We limit our processed grain consumption. I'm like, okay. Um, So those, those can be triggering. And I'm not going to tell you like you should go, like you should cut them out and that's going to fix everything. But um, sugar sort of begets sugar and, and bread is, is very much a a part of that as, as a processed grain. So I would consider maybe noticing the effect that, that that bread has on you. And if you, um, if, if you feel like your cravings are stronger after you eat it, then you may want to consider, you know, changing your habits or limiting fat even more. <laughs> uh, but that's not what I was going to say is, is the most important recommendation that I would make. Um, for me personally, and for the women that I work with, something that's really helpful is keeping sugar in the diet in a healthier form. Um, there is a, you know, there is a biological need for sweets and there's also kind of a psychological one. You know, you, you have attachments to certain foods. You remember how good it was. Like, it's like, it's really good. If I have, uh, like a little chocolate thing or a couple handfuls of a sweet cereal or something, it'll like all sort of, I'll be aching for some other sugary things for days, you know, and, and so it does, it does have that effect, but 
when I regularly eat whole natural sweet things that aren't like a processed chemically designed thing, um, those sit with me just fine. And I end up not really needing or thinking so desperately about the, about where I'm going to get my sugar fix because I, I am getting my sugar fix. And I don't mean that in an unhealthy way. You know, I eat, um, eat a lot of apples, I eat some sweet potatoes, um, lots of veggies, uh, all the other fruits. I eat all of the fruits. Um, and it, uh, it works. So I would, I would sort of recommend that, you know, because you need to meet your body's need for carbohydrates. And I don't mean to say everything you eat needs to be carbs, but you know, let yourself have them. And also psychologically, you know, the more we forbid things, the harder it is to resist them. That's like psych 101, you know, that's why we like the boys who don't like us back and the girls who don't like us back. And that's why we like the foods we can't have and the hair colors we can't have and the body types we can't have all those things, right? We always want the things we can't have. So don't, don't write off stuff, even the like, so don't write off things that taste sweet. I would Recommend that you regularly and forgivingly, unconditionally let yourself eat natural carbohydrates, the fruits, the potatoes, etc. Um, and then even with the with the crappy sugary stuff, like I I would advise you to not eat it, but also if you like really strongly forbid it in your head, it will make it harder to resist. So maybe if you make it like a moderately firm guideline that can help you choose to not have the sweets and it's like oh i'm gonna microwave an apple and put some cinnamon on it which by the way is exactly like eating an apple pie well about as exactly as you can get um with just an apple and it's incredibly delicious and it's not um it's it's not exactly poisonous and that could be a really really good way to um help you and i know that noel has um a lot of things to say too so what do you think? I, no, <laughs> your notes are extensive today, I will say. I know, I know. Because I have a lot to say. What can I like to talk. I absolutely loved what you just said, too, about um, not restricting things from your diet, not putting it in your mind that it's forbidden or something that it should be, you know, feared or something is wrong, inherently wrong with it. I think that's huge, and that's a big part of probably a lot of people's um I don't want to call it recovery but resolution from having such a disordered kind of mentality uh, around food so I'm kind of eating you know cheers to eating intuitively but um I would definitely agree eat carbs I think it's important that we make the distinction first um cravings can definitely be a sign that you're in need of a specific nutrient so for me, for example, sometimes mid-afternoon, I'll feel like I want something sweet or something carby, but it's not necessarily a sh- like I need sugar. It's just something – I need something carby. And I'll think back and I'll realize that I didn't actually eat any carbs. I haven't eaten any carbs in the day and I didn't particularly eat any in, in post-workout. Um, and that's usually just because I'm drawn to foods like eggs and protein and veggies and all that kind of stuff in the morning. But – I'll find that I need that. That's what my body is needing and looking for. And so eating carbs in that kind of situation resolves that craving. But that's more associated with hunger. So hunger is obviously hunger occurs when the brain has recognized that there's a 
physiological need for nutrients. So you feel empty or weak or you get that growl in your stomach and you can crave specific foods as part of that hunger. But what I think Jen is referring to is the cravings that occur differently, which are those wonderful little cravings that occur at any time, even if we've just eaten a big meal, which can be super frustrating. Um, And we get these cravings basically outside of our need for nutrients for food. So when that happens, that's a clue that there's something else going on or there's some other emotion involved and it's not necessarily hunger. So as we probably all expect, the number one cause of sugar cravings is stress. And that's not really a surprise and that's not anything revolutionary. But it is important to recognize when you're in that moment with your craving. Uh, Stress can be emotional or biological. So biological would be lack of sleep or dehydration. Actually, they found that that sleep deprivation leads to increased sugar cravings and increased junk food cravings in general. Um, And then emotional stress is like sadness or guilt or loneliness, those sort of things, which we've all experienced as well. So most often people crave a specific food because – their brain remembers the good experience it once had with that food. So we've all had that kind of experience with, I don't know, let's say an ice cream sundae or a donut or something where it smelled good, it tasted good, and our body had a kind of an up response from the interaction with that food. And so your brain wants to have that experience again, specifically when you are subject subject to emotional triggers. So when you're feeling lonely or sad or you're having these emotions that you don't necessarily want to have. And so that's kind of where those cravings come from. And then there are also emotional triggers, which occur when we're used to having a specific food as part of an experience. So that would be like popcorn at the movies or chips while watching the game. So what I would recommend is first figure out your environmental triggers. And while you're trying to resolve and deal with those cravings and trying to figure them out and and kind of build your defenses against them or resolve them. Um, Do your best to avoid those situations. I don't want you to think that you're going to have to avoid the movies for the rest of your life or, you know, avoid these situations like, you know, going to your friend's house and having cookies or whatever. But, for now or or while you are trying to work on figuring out why it is that you have certain cravings or trying to resolve certain cravings or kind of get on the other side of it, it may be a good idea. It's just an option. Um, Also, you can control your environment so you can remove the junk from your house and stock it with healthy carbs like fruit and sweet potatoes and stuff like that. And I know that some people have said, oh, it shouldn't, you shouldn't just uh, eat quote-unquote desserts whether after dinner whether it's candy or an apple and if you're eating the apple you're you're still not resolving the craving you're still eating the apple I would actually say that if you first work on switching out your craving for say you're craving Twizzlers and instead you go for an apple or you go for strawberries or you go for maybe just some little bit of dried mango then power to you. Like, that's awesome. I would say do that and and work on having that sh- that shift because 
that all that all of that is good food. Like it's healthy, good food that you can that you should be eating. And if you're eating it when you're not hungry and you've come to the place where you're you say, okay, I'm eating this apple and I'm not hungry. I just want something sweet. I need to work on that. Then work on that. But resolving it by finishing your dinner with a, a small bar of dark chocolate or a few slices of apple, that could be a part of your normal day. And I don't think anybody should hate on that. Um, and then the second thing is give yourself other options when you experience emotional triggers. So when you're feeling a specific emotion and you need a lift, figure out a different way to deal with the feeling or the emotion than eating food. And I think a lot of people probably already know this. This is kind of obvious. Instead of eating, we need to be doing something else. So do something that you love. You can ca- call a friend. You can head outside for I don't know, some sunbathing time. For me, it's it's going for a 15-minute walk. I can go for a walk and I come back a completely different person. And I have completely different feelings uh, towards food, which is, um, I think, because I created a positive, I still had a positive experience with something, but it wasn't with food. And if you find it absolutely necessary to have that food after you've done whatever it is you've committed to doing when you do get cravings, then eat it and give yourself grace and keep on working on it. Try to find other things and other ways to resolve the craving. But I wouldn't beat yourself up about it or say, oh, I had a, you know, I went three days and I had a relapse. Maybe you're just living. Maybe you're just having a normal life and you're eating good food for three days, and then you have a treat on the third day. I, would, I don't know if I'd even call that a relapse. Um, but if it's something that you really want to do, just give yourself grace through it and recognize when you're feeling a certain way and and try treating the root of the problem. You know, like, um, it's it's really, right, so I agree. And if you're coming back from the walk or whatever, I don't, even going – on those walks. I just, I know that they're like recommended all over the place. Like these like short activities that get your mind elsewhere. Um, if your mind isn't elsewhere, <laughs> like sometimes you can't get your mind away from elsewhere <clears throat> and, or from where it is. And I worry that, um, you or my clients or whatever, if, if this is something that you have to exercise willpower for, then then I really don't think you should be doing it because the willpower will collapse and then you'll eat a lot and then you'll feel terrible. So really, I think what the trick is, is to figure out how to make this switch without needing like to summon the willpower for resistance. That's a really challenging thing to do. And that's the sort of thing that turns you into a disordered eater rather than somebody who just wouldn't like to eat as much sugar. Um, so these getting like doing activities when you do them, like do them to really like engage them and, and really make it, don't make a concerted effort, but make, make it a genuine attempt to be somewhere else mentally and emotionally, you know, completely remove yourself from the thing. But if you can't get away from it, like eat this, eat something kind of sweet, right? Like Noelle said, like, don't. There were just so many ways to like to have this become an emotional trap, and um, I don't, I don't know if you're doing a whole thirty precisely. You know, a whole the whole thirty is like the 
doing a 30 day thing with a, a certain eating plan. And that way it works great for a lot of people, but um, don't beat yourself up if you don't stick to the whole 30 regimen, you know, they're pretty low on, on carbohydrate intake. If you're in the realm of whole foods, you know, like Noel said, like pat yourself on the back, like don't panic about it. Um, even Dallas and Melissa would be like, all right, you're doing great, you know, and they would probably tough love you and tell you to get back on track. And I would be like, well, you know, just take your time with it. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's really important to make sure that this is something that is as mentally healthy as it is physically healthy, because that's, that's, what's going to make it sustainable in the long run. It won't be sustainable in the long run unless you can transform it to something that's like a happy choice rather than a struggle and we talked about a bunch of ways to to make it a happy choice so i won't belabor those um but those are certain things to consider oh and there's one more thing i wanted to say um so certain people are like genetically predisposed to to struggle with more things than others and this is the case of course with this and um and also like we talked noel talked really briefly about physical triggers and I've been, I've struggled a lot my whole life with sleep deprivation. And I can say like, that's like, it's definitely a thing. Like you crave sugar. And so, and that's because when you sleep, I mean, it's, it's for a lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is that sleep is when you produce serotonin and when you use GABA and these are all your inhibitory neurotransmitters and ones that make you feel satisfied. And if you don't have these things, it just, it just doesn't work. Um, and there's, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. There are certain amino acids you can take that I would recommend. Um, so I would, I would A, let yourself, you know, when you're in these periods of physical stress or whatever, let yourself have some carbs, but um, recognize where the craving is coming from. So that'll help you with the forgiveness and, and with sort of navigating what foods you're choosing. And also I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm not saying that this is the bullet answer and we've just talked for 15 minutes for no good reason because you should just go take these pills. Um, but there are amino acid supplements that can help support serotonin and dopamine and GABA production. Um, I personally, I take um, tryptophan and valerian root, um, not every night, but close to every night. And that really, I mean, it really helps me sleep, but it, it just, it helps with every, everything in my life because I'm low on GABA genetically. Um, but also uh, for the serotonin and the dopamine, you can take, um, well, tryptophan for the serotonin, which I just mentioned, and tyrosine for the dopamine. And there are many smart people who talk about those things um, in great depth, including Julia Ross, who wrote a book called The Mood Cure, which talks about these things. And again, I'm not throwing this out there to be like, ta-da, this is the answer, go take the pill thing, but rather um, to sort of keep awareness for physiological triggers and, and to sort of help us think deeply about where hunger is coming from in all of the ways, the physical and the psychological. And um, wow, I can't believe how long we talked about this. It's very important. But uh, oh, it is definitely. And I, wow. I do struggle with recommending for people like, oh, go for a walk, because I know that I was in a lot of or I, I understand exactly where you're coming from because I, I used to be in a situation where I couldn't even get myself like I couldn't break away from the whatever I was believing in my head that I needed or the kind of the response that I was going through. I couldn't break away from it and just actually go for a walk. So I know right. that sometimes that's not even possible. Like you can't even stop what you're thinking about or stop like what response you're about to engage with whether it's 
restricting or binging or eating a specific food and and that builds up over time that doesn't just happen like it just right, it right. takes or a long you time like to develop right or you go on the walk and then it, it's just and it, you're fine and then you come back and it's there again yeah you know, like it's it's um it's always there so right just figure it out and deal with it like all of the things <laughs> have patience <laughs> while you're figuring it out cuz lots of patience these take time yeah patience is the answer right so we'll move on then to question number two which is another good one kendall asks i'd like to get pregnant in the next year and i'm not quite sure when i should start being more focused on eating for fertility i don't have any fertility issues that i'm aware of currently but i'd like to optimize my health so that i can set my body up for success when we do begin trying to conceive besides eating lots of real whole foods what foods or supplements should I include in, in my quote-unquote preparing for fertility diet, and when should I start doing that? Okay, so lots of things come up for me in this question. Um, first, I'm uh, a little bit confused about whether she wants to eat to get pregnant or eat for while she's pregnant, so I'm going to talk about both, I guess. Um, <laughs> eat paleo, but also... I want to address the question of like a preparing for fertility diet. The best equipped body to be pregnant is one that is really well nourished and one that is not stressed out and one that is in good metabolic condition and all of those things. And ideally we we should all kind of be trying to be that way all the time. And of course in pregnancy, there are certain things that you like really want to make sure you have. And so maybe you want to, supplement or focus on certain foods here or there. But basically, I would advise you to eat as healthfully as you can. Like when should you start being more focused on eating for fertility? Um, well, if you start tomorrow, it definitely won't hurt you. <laughs> because what the recommendations I would make for pregnancy would be ones that would simply be more nourishing and ones, um, you know, they would focus on specific foods, but generally they would be more nourishing. And so I would advise you to start doing it um, as soon as, as soon as you can, right? I mean, you will get pregnant if you have a regular cycle and you appear to be in good hormonal health, like there is a 20% chance that you'll get, you know, pregnant in any given, um, <clears throat> what is it? Every given cycle, every given year, that's a pretty big difference. So I'm going to I'm going to step back and say I need to check my facts on that before I give you the the correct answer and I know that's huge of me to not know off the top of my head but there's a really good chance you'll get pregnant if if you're menstruating regularly and ovulating regularly um and your eggs are probably pretty healthy if you're doing those things so in that case say you start trying to conceive Next month, I would start eating, preparing for fertility, preparing for growing a baby inside of you today, you know, as soon as possible, because the more nourishing you can do in the long run, you know, building up your, your nutrient stores, the better off you'll be. Um, that being said, I would definitely make sure to be eating well by the time you conceive. And this is because the growing fetus needs nutrients right away, lots of them. In particular, it really needs folate 
and, and choline and, and other B vitamins, particularly folate, in the beginning. If you don't have folate in the beginning, then your baby may develop uh, neural tube defects, which is basically kind of what it sounds like. They're um, defects in the, in the brain or the, or the spinal cord that can lead to, uh, you know, physical, really big physical problems. Um, it can paralyze infants. It can prevent the, the skull and brain from developing. And this uh, often results in, in stillbirths. So folate at the beginning is important. And that's um, not awesome news if you're low in folate, but it's great news if you have access to a supermarket because if you have, I would recommend three servings of greens a day, but greens are the most abundant source of folate. So get your greens, eat them daily, and you should be good on that score. Um, there is another uh, nutrient that's super important at the beginning, and that's vitamin A. Um, vitamin A is necessary for development of the heart, and that's just in the first two or three weeks. Right? So some women don't even find out they're pregnant until several weeks into the pregnancy, and so that's why it's really important to be nourished with the B and the A vitamins in particular right off the bat, you know, before you even know you're pregnant. Um, vitamin A is most densely found. It's most richly found in uh, liver, beef liver, calves liver, um, the most, but also, you know, chickens and rabbits and whatever. <laughs> I keep mentioning rabbit livers like other people are eating them. <laughs> I think I'm the only one eating them. Okay. No, it's totally so, normal. It's totally normal. <laughs> I just, I actually, I just had some rabbit liver before we started. Um, so vitamin A is, is in those things and um, also in cod liver oil. And there's a brand of fermented cod liver oil that we recommend, Green Pastures. That's amazing. And that's really important. So I would st start taking that before trying to conceive as well. Um, you could take that supplement or try to eat at least uh, four ounces of liver a week. I would say a pound of liver a month is, is a great, great value to shoot for. Um, there are other nutrients that are particularly important for pregnancy. Um, vitamin D is super important. Um, it's great for you and for your baby during birth. Um, the best way to do that is to get 20 minutes at least of noontime sun every day. If you're darker skinned, you'd want to extend that because it's it's a little bit harder for you to synthesize the vitamin D. So there's that. It's also in cod liver oil. So if you're taking the vitamin A cod liver oil thing, you'd be kind of set there. Um, choline, which is also found in liver, right? Like we're picking up a theme here. Choline, which is also found in liver and in egg yolks, um, is super important for pregnancy. Um, it helps with the neural development. And the thing about choline is your baby will will take your supply. And so women, when they're pregnant, often experience like brain fog. And in part, it's because the <clears throat> the developing fetus is stealing your choline supply, which is kind of making your brain get wishy-washy. So adequate choline can help not just your baby, but also you while you're pregnant. Um, vitamin K is very important, and vitamin K is also in liver. Um, it's in butter, um, grass-fed kinds, and that's very important for the development of your baby. And this all means that, yes, I recommend probably taking a cod liver oil supplement. I recommend getting greens daily. And I recommend, you know, sort of the class of the paleo superfoods that we talk about a lot. But I, we do for, for a good reason. You know, liver, um, I didn't mention bone broth yet, but 
Um, there's a lot of really great nutrients, vitamin A and um, really healthy fats and a lot of micronutrients, you know, calcium and manganese and the like in bone marrow. So bone marrow or bone broths are great. Um, I think I mentioned the greens like a billion times. Um, fish is excellent, especially if it's deep, cold, wild caught fish, um, maybe once a week. Omega-3 fats are super important. Like it's just been shown so many times that babies that get omega-3 fats while they're in the womb are smarter, <laughs> like literally their IQs are higher than babies that don't. So omega-3 fats are huge. And again, that's in the cod liver oil as well. Um, fish eggs also have plenty of omega-3s in them as well as lots of really great nutrients. Um, and the eggs, egg yolks, I recommend at a minimum two egg yolks a day when you're pregnant. Um, if not more. And of course, to always eat these foods doused in a heavy serving of fat because fat helps you absorb these fat-soluble vitamins. It's really crucial that you have fat with fat-soluble vitamins. So don't eat liver without making sure you've got some fat with it. Um, and there's probably a boatload more. I didn't talk a lot about, I, actually, I didn't talk at all about things you should be eating in order to get pregnant because basically I would say, eat a paleo diet, you know, eat these things that I recommended. Um, don't eat sugar, uh, you know, processed foods, trans fats. No, like, no, definitely not when you're pregnant. Like, you know, avoid trans fats as much as you avoid cigarettes when you're pregnant. Um, <clears throat> I recently found out that there are cultures that are a little bit more lax with caffeine and alcohol than Americans are with pregnancy, which is very interesting to me. Um, you'd probably do best to avoid those things. Um, you know, whatever, <laughs> probably do best. And, uh, and yeah, that's, um, that's kind of, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot. So I'm, I'm still, I can't get over the pound of liver a month. That sounds nauseating. Really? Do you think it's too much, too little? I think it's probably right on. I just don't personally appreciate the flavor. Oh my God, I live for liver. I love it so much. I do know, like, I, I really think that there's something about, like, whether you need it or not. Like, I know people who, like, really crave it for a long time and then the craving, like, subsides once you kind of get your, get what you need. And that isn't to say if you think liver is disgusting, you don't need it and you might still. Right. <laughs> but um, I do think that's interesting. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm pretty sure I've, suffered from liver toxicity before. Like I've definitely, I've had all the symptoms and I have eaten like a pound a week um, or even eaten like a whole pound in a day before. So that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> anyway. You're very special. <laughs> I'm a delicate flower is what I am. <laughs> okay. So first I just want to say yes to all the things that you said, Stephanie incredible recommendations. A lot of what I'm going to say is going to build on that. But I also just want to say cheers to Kendall for having the mentality that you need to prepare to conceive and carry a baby. I mean, your body needs incredible resources for building another human being. And unfortunately, having that mentality that, okay, we need to build up our nutrients and, our, and we need to optimize our health in order to conceive is a huge missing piece in our modern lifestyle. So zooming out and looking at this from an ancestral perspective, which I like to do frequently, we have evidence that actually shows traditional cultures, both in the past and still those that exist today, treat couples wanting to conceive as well as pregnant women with what is referred to as sacred foods. 
and these sacred foods were rich in minerals and fat-soluble vitamins like A, D, E, and K2, which are, those are the ones that you talked about, Steph. And these two things are basically the building blocks for creating a healthy body. And in in case you don't know what fat-soluble vitamins are, they're vitamins that need fat to be absorbed and digested appropriately. So a lot of these foods are foods that are recommended on a Weston A. Price slash paleo-ish style diet. It's oily fish like salmon. It's pastured meats and eggs. It's butter. There were also a lot of organ meats. And based on where these cultures were living, there's evidence that shows there were uh, there was also like shellfish and fish roe if they were by the sea, and then other foods like bone marrow and um, oh and also cod liver oil. Then uh, that that was saved for pregnant women and couples wanting to conceive, and those were what were considered considered those sacred foods. So while maybe not all of those foods are as easily accessible to all of us today, I would recommend including foods really high in fat soluble vitamins. So, of course, that's butter, that's pastured meats and organ meats like liver. And I would really focus on quality in these situations because there's studies that have actually shown that, and there's a lot of information that's available that shows that quality and where your meat and where your eggs come from, um, it, it does matter. And all of the nutrients that are needed for, that are so important for building a healthy baby like omega-3 fatty acids and these minerals and these fat-soluble vitamins are in higher quantities in pasture-raised uh, meats and eggs in comparison to their grain-fed counterparts. So I'd also recommend while you're preparing to conceive, supplement with fermented cod liver oil by Green Pastures. And also include probiotic foods into your into your diet, like kombucha or sauerkraut. Whole Foods and some local markets will actually sell those to you, but it's really cheap to make if you do it on your own. It took me a while to, to dive into making kombucha on my own, but now that I do, it's actually really fun and it's super cheap. And lastly, I would highly encourage you to make your own bone broth. It's super easy to do. You just order up a bag of bones, which is really cheap, from your local farm. And then you just simmer them for, you know, 12 to 24 hours. And it makes this really rich, mineral-rich broth that you can include in your diet. And I am going to get on just a tiny soapbox for a second. But making a baby, it takes two people. So, yes, a woman is responsible for carrying and supplying the little one with nutrients. But the ability to conceive is the responsibility of both parties. Men need a minimum sperm density to increase the likelihood of fertilization. And the unfortunate reality is male infertility is increasing. And not by a little, by a lot. So from 1940 to 1990, so over a 50-year period, American men have had a 60% drop in sperm levels. And sperm levels includes both sperm density and volume. So in essence, if men aren't also focused on building their fertility and optimizing their ability to create quality sperm... Men are just basically shooting blanks, and there's not much a woman can do in that situation. And some of the research even shows that it was the youngest men that had the poorest sperm count. So it was actually the 30-year-olds that had the lowest quality sperm, which is kind of terrifying because that's at the age that we're supposed to be fertile and creating uh, other human beings. So tips for men, focus on zinc. Some studies have shown that zinc therapy 
helped 40% of infertile couples conceive, which is kind of a big deal. And if you're looking for good sources for zinc, uh, you can find zinc in oysters, raw pumpkin seeds, quality beef, of course, organ meats like liver and lobster and crab. And I think the most obvious recommendation here is to reduce alcohol consumption, reduce processed foods, and reduce your fine carbs and sugar. Men also make sure you're eating a lot of fat. And I have uh, heard of recommendations to supplement with L-carnitine, which helps sperm motility. But if you're eating a lot of nourishing beef products, you most likely won't need to do that as it's it's the most dorse, <laughs> it's the most dense source of L-carnitine. So I think, in short, we can probably sum this up as eat beef and butter and liver. <laughs> yep. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number three, Jamie asks, what is the best way to balance hormones post-baby? I have a one-year-old that I'm still breastfeeding, and I'm trying to get my body back into balance while realizing it's going to take some time. What can I do in the present day to set myself up for future success and get my libido going again? Future success with what? <laughs> Please specify. <laughs> Please specify. I think um, with sex, maybe? <laughs> right, but like yeah. seriously, like having another baby? I don't know. Right. Um, <clears throat> so this is question questions about hormones are always really hard for me because um it's asked this one is asked in a very general manner but you can't you can't give somebody a hormonal answer without knowing the specifics you know because she wants to get her hormones back in balance and i know kind of generally what happens after pregnancy but it varies by the woman and, and you know by what you're eating and how you're living and your history and all that sort of stuff in general after pregnancy, you know, during pregnancy, your estrogen and progesterone levels are like high and flying all over the map. And there's just this stuff and there's prolactin for the breastfeeding. And then you have your baby and your hormone levels just like drop. And this is why <clears throat> so many women experience postpartum depression and other symptoms. It's just that you, your body got used to working properly with these high hormone levels and now they're gone. Um, so what you can, so presuming that the problem you are currently experiencing is that your estrogen and progesterone levels are low and other hormones as well, what you need to do is to <laughs> reduce stress and sleep as much as possible. So, you know, babies, that's great. Um, <laughs> and also, um, be sure you eat plenty of saturated fat. You know, I would eat, I, I don't know, um, is 50 grams a day too much? That's a lot. Um, no less than 20, I would say. Um, and that's going to help your body give it, it's going to give your body the basis it needs to, to build, um, to build the hormones it needs. Um, also be sure to keep eating your carbs, um, you know, uh, you can, if, if you really feel the need for carbs, you can dial down that fat recommendation I just made. That's okay. You know, I don't know zero fat, but I think 20 grams of fat is a good place to, um, saturated fat too is a good place to start. And 
keep your carbs. You need that for your thyroid health. You need that for your mental health. Um, it, it will vary by the woman. Some women do really well with a lot of carbs post baby and some, some don't, and you want to keep them low for a while. Um, exercise is great. It's great, great, great. It helps you get your neurotransmitter levels back up. It helps boost the dopamine and the serotonin and you need those things to be happy and to eat well. So, um, do whatever exercise you can, you know, don't push it. We stress is not the answer here. Relaxation is the answer and being as nourishing as possible. So eating, you know, the good stuff, the grass fed stuff, the organ meat stuff, the organic stuff, the fruits and the vegetables, keep your carbs, um, eat paleo more or less. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying, but specifically within paleo, making sure you get the saturated fat and, um, are focusing on relaxing. I think that's going to be a really great, great way to build up your hormone levels again and to sort of get you cycling regularly and thyroid health will also, um, be really helpful for that too. What do you think? So you're saying 20 grams of just saturated fat? I would say 20 grams of fat and do your best to like make sure that a chunk of it is saturated. Yeah. 20 cuz 20 grams of fat in a in a daily diet doesn't seem like a lot to me. Yeah, that's like almost 600 calories, which is 30%. Oh, okay. Well, goes to show I don't really count anymore. Yeah, I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up yeah. <laughs> while I was talking. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's like, you know, minimum fat, yes, and try and make it saturated fat. And then you can definitely have more than that for sure. Right. Um, right. But again, it depends on your personal needs. No, I don't have anything to say other than what you did. I, I really would focus on making sure you're eating quality fat and um, so that you can have a way to build healthy hormones again and stabilize your mood and blood sugar and et cetera, et cetera. So, okay. So let's actually go ahead and move into our bonus topic because we are at 46 Ooh. minutes. Yeah. So Ooh. Stephanie, tell me what deodorant you recommend. <laughs> I love this question. I don't. I wish that I had a personal recommendation to make for you because maybe you would really like one and that would be awesome. But I've never used deodorant my whole life and I still don't. Um, when I go out dancing, I sweat a lot. But like my whole body sweats. <laughs> like, and um, if, it's, if it's really hot. And it doesn't, but it doesn't smell bad. And I don't, like, I don't, I don't have sweating problems. Um, every once in a while in the past, it's cropped up. And then it's gone away. There was a period in my life where I used to, when I sweat a lot and it smelled really bad. And I mean, I definitely wasn't paleo then. And ever since then, like I just, I, I don't. Um, I also think that when you start using deodorant, your body gets kind of like used to it, you know, and you get a little hooked on it. It's kind of like the whole shampooing thing. And so because I've never done it, I just don't. And I think you can probably wean yourself off of it. Maybe, probably, um, and, uh, yeah, I will say that I, this is really funny. I don't know. This is so anecdotal. Like I, I have no idea if there's any science about this, whatever. Um, I sweat and it like, and I can smell it as like a negative smell when I'm nervous and anxious. But if I sweat as a result of physical activity, it's never that way. Isn't that interesting? 
I actually would have to say there's got to be something on that, yeah. Because I, I would think that if you're anxious or nervous, you have other hormones going on in your body or cortisol's like, you know, floating around. And then you're obviously having to eliminate excess hormones and right. all those things through your sweat. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So anyway. So no deodorant. So do you freshen up with anything? Like, do you how? I don't even know what you mean by that. Do you shower? I do shower. Okay. But you know what? I don't use soap. Yeah, I, I, I shampoo my hair and condition my hair, but I do not soap my body. And like maybe once every six months I'll exfoliate. But like that's, I don't know. That's like, that's kind of it. I just, I don't. I just don't. There's, I cannot for the life of me think of a reason of any reason scientifically why you would need to like rub like uh, a soap all over your body. I just, I can't, even if it's antibacterial, like I, I that doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. If you're like dirty, like if you've gone out and you have like dirt on you, yeah, like use something that's going to help you, you know, if you like fell in a sewer. Yeah. But on a day-to-day basis, like the water in your hands probably does the trick. Um, yeah, and like no sprays of any sorts or whatever, nothing. I just, I, I get in the water <clears throat> and I get out. I do blow dry my hair, but like I, I don't, that doesn't have any substances in it. You are crunchy. Yeah, well, to be, okay, to be clear, I do wear makeup. In fact, right now I'm wearing a ton. I never, I never wear this much, but I do wear like conventional buy at CVS makeup, so selfie instagram <sighs> so <laughs> so um deodorants for me i definitely do wear deodorant and it's not what you think but i work out <laughs> five to six days a week and i sweat and i don't I remember it smelling good so I usually wear uh, like a coconut oil based deodorant. I tried it, experimented with like homemade stuff, and I know that some people have found that it does work for them, but just not a fan. I need something that I can travel with because I usually go work out on base and then I will go do other things like go to work or go um, whatever, run errands or do whatever I need to do. So I typically change and freshen up on base and just bringing my own coconut oil mixture glass whatever like I just wasn't feeling it so I found this brand that I love it's called stink bug organics and it's basically just coconut oil and I think it's like it's got a little bit of baking soda non-gmo cornstarch and then they use essential oils like tea tree oil and I've always had a very dry skin so it's actually really helpful because it almost it kind of acts as a moisturizer at the same time. And oddly enough, I used to sweat a ton in, especially like when I was going through puberty, like junior high and high school. And now that I have stopped using those like antiperspirant strong deodorants, I don't sweat as much. That's for sure. I mean, I still have a healthy sweat rate, but I don't sweat as much and it doesn't have that smell. I mean, I, I can definitely smell ammonia, which is the byproduct um, that a lot of people you you can kind of smell on your skin when you do more intense workouts. And so I smell that, but I don't smell any, I don't know, stank. You know what I mean? Like I don't smell a, a, that what I used to. So 
I do. Um, I do have another thought. Um, when I sweat and I can smell it, I'm normally wearing sleeves. In my life, I never wear sleeves. Mm-hmm. I never wear sleeves. I always wear tank tops. And like, and if I wear sleeves, it's like maybe a sweater or like a sweatshirt. But I don't wear sleeves. And so I, I do know that they're like that there are bacteria in clothes and bacteria like hang out on the clothes and then they the water gets trapped there and it like ferments but i don't wear sleeves and so every the you know sweat can just evaporate so there's also that as well for kind of an explanation of why i don't have trouble with it very interesting no sleeves yeah i hated wearing sleeves when i was a kid i got well when we would like high school we had to ha- had to it was a we had a dress code and so it was always like the collared shirts that were pretty tight, like on your armpits. And ugh, mm-hmm. I just, I always would like, I hated feeling them and then you'd get sweat on them and it just felt weird. So yeah, I feel you. I'm not a, I'm not a sleeve gal. No sleeves. I, I will wear long sleeves or no sleeves. It's like go big or go home. I'm yeah. not going to like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go half sleeves. Nope. So we have nothing to link for you in the show notes because you do nothing, but I will have the links of things that we talked about, specifically the fermented collar oil and um, a couple of those things, and then the stink bug naturals. I'll have that in the show notes, which you can find at coconutsandkettleballs.com slash episode four. Four. Or paleo4women.com slash episode four. So go to either of our websites, and all that stuff will be linked and you can find it. So, yeah. yeah. Anything else that you need to add to the mix? Nope. Roger. Nope, I'm good. Mm-hmm. All right. That is it for us today. If you don't mind, please hop over to iTunes and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it if you did. For more from us, you can find Stephanie at paleoforwomen.com and me, Noelle, at coconutsandkettlebells.com. Talk to you next week.